This is Amateur Logic, episode 69 for August 15th, 2014. DV Megalode. This episode of Amateur Logic is brought to you by Gigaparts.com. Through September 30th, use the promo code ALTV-COMET to save 10% off regularly priced Comet products and get a free gift with your order. Only at Gigaparts.com. MFJ, the world leaders in ham radio accessories at MFJEnterprises.com. And by ICOM. HF, VHF, UHF, ICOM has you covered wherever you go. Welcome to another exciting episode of AmateurLogic.tv. I'm George. I'm Tommy. And I'm Peter. And it's great to be back with you again as always. It's a hot August here in Mississippi. Yeah, it's been a scorcher today. What's it like down there, Peter? Wasn't that a a Neil Diamond album, Hot August Night? And that was going to be the title of the show here tonight, but I decided to change it. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, I didn't know how many of the younger viewers would get that, but I'm, apparently you're old enough to remember that one. <laughs> oh, indeed, yep. Well, Classic album. Yeah. Before we get started here, just a couple of things we want to mention. You know, we are uh, streaming these shows live when we record them now, and you can watch them at live.amateurlogic.tv and check the website, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Google+. We'll announce when the shows are going to be recorded each time around. And during that recording, we're also doing a chat room, and we're in there with a few of you right now. And you guys help us out a lot in there and let us know some of the mistakes we're making before we even know it ourselves. Yeah, test the audio and, and so forth. Yeah. My wife does that, too, a lot. Yeah, yeah. She, she knows when you're going to make a mistake before you ever made it. Uh, pretty, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so uh, looking forward to a good show tonight. We've got some interesting stuff going on. Tommy, what are you going to be showing us tonight and i got a new uh, d-star device i'm pretty excited about it can't wait to show you yeah this. yeah we've we've talked about that a little before yeah. but but that's going to be fun peter what are you doing well i've got a little component tester which uh i've been testing and uh i'm pretty impressed with it cool yeah i i saw that and that is a, a nice deal there and i'm going to be talking about dummy loads all right you know we haven't really talked about dummy loads that much and i have apparently more than i thought i did here and i pulled them all out and uh, did some testing and some discussion of them and yeah that's a that's a good basic piece of ham gear that everybody needs to understand it really is and we're going to have a bonus uh, segment tonight i'm going to be um uh, bringing you some footage from a d-star repeater in bellevue washington atop a 42-story building oh that's cool yeah that was from uh, when I made the trip to ICOM a couple of months back. Yeah. I got a lot of footage there. We haven't seen hardly any of it yet, so we're going to be seeing some of that footage. This was a lot of fun right here. It'll give you an idea of what might be at a repeater site. But right now, let's get on into the show. Tommy, 
You've got an email over there, don't you? Yeah, I sure do. I've got one from my friend Elliot, WA1ONF. says he was uh, fortunate enough to go to the ARRL convention in Hartford, Connecticut on Friday the 18th and proudly wore his Amateur Logic t-shirt. Way to go, Elliot. He met two of our favorite people, Martin Jew from MFJ and Ray Novak from ICOM. Sadly, walking around the convention center with his shirt, he was approached many, by many visitors asking if he was part of the ALTV and others asking where Tommy and George were. It's good to see so many people asking for you guys. But, uh, yeah, that, that's uh, I kind of hate we missed that. It would yeah. have been a great one, but I just wasn't able to make it. I wasn't either, but we'll catch the next one. Yeah, next another 100 years. Another 100 years. Yeah, we'll be there for sure. Yeah. Count on it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if my T-shirt will last that long, yeah, so that folks, because they won't recognize us otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> not by then. <laughs> no, not by then. <laughs> well, Peter, uh, let's get on into your segment here. Hello again, and welcome. As you recall, last month I built a forty-meter transceiver, which was a great success. One thing I learned from the build is that you can save a good deal of time and trouble by measuring the resistance of resistors rather than trying to work out their values from their color codes. It's just too easy to solder in the wrong resistor. You can use a multimeter to measure resistors, but many multimeters, such as the one I own, have a set of different ranges, and it can take several attempts before you get a reading. Similarly, reading the fine print on other types of components can be difficult, particularly if your eyesight has deteriorated a little with age. However, recently I was looking at some YouTube videos put out by a person called Julian Eilet. Julian has a number of good electronics videos, particularly about Arduino parts, but it was a video about a cheap $22 Chinese component tester that caught my eye and that's the subject of today's segment okay it's mailbag time here's the uh, box that the item came in from alex at flight logistic limited po box number 263 at tung chung office post tung chung hong kong hi to all my friends in hong kong and let's see what we we get for our trouble well the little card some packaging and the item itself. Let's have a look at the board. On the front is a latch into which you insert your components. The advertisement claims that the tester can measure NPN, PNP, bipolar transistors, N-channel and P-channel MOS, FET, JFET, diodes, two diodes, thyristors and small power unidirectional and bidirectional thyristors along with resistors and capacitors. The advertisement does warn that before measuring capacitance the capacitor must be discharged. Next to the latch we have an off button and a test button which is basically an on button. Above this is the LCD screen and you can see a 9 volt battery connector on the right. Please note batteries not included. Looking at the back, we find the notation Transistor Tester 201407 by FISH 8840. Now, I purchased my tester from a seller called Buy, and the item came with free shipping. I can't vouch for the vendor, but I note that the vendor had 498 feedback items with 100% positive feedback. The item was advertised as, wait for this... 
small 12804 LCD transistor tester capacitance ESR meter diode triode MOS LCR NPN. What a mouthful. It's now time to test the tester. I've added a battery to my tester and uh, I've gone through my junk box and looked around for a number of components. I found this. This is a 1.5k resistor and over here I've got a very small capacitor of unknown quantity. I can't read the writing on the side of it. It's very, very tiny. Uh, I've got a 10k pot, uh, a 1000 microfarad uh, electrolytic capacitor, a, an inductor of unknown quantity, and an IRF530 MOSFET, which may or may not be okay. As you can see, I've actually cut it out of a circuit. So we'll give that a try. We'll start with the, uh, with the resistor, the 1.5K resistor. We pop it in like so. We lock it down, press test, get an evil mask, some words, uh, a battery test. And then it tells me that the resistor... It's a resistor and it's got 14, a resistance of 1496 ohms, which is close enough to 1500 or 1.5k, so that's a pass. Now here's my small capacitor of unknown size. For this test, I've got no way of confirming the capacitance. My multimeter won't read capacitance. But it's telling me that it's 1,022 nanofarads, nanofarads. So it's telling me the capacitor that is in fact a capacitor, which is a good thing. So I'm inclined to think that's a success. I've got um, a variable resistor here, potentiometer. Now, as you will recall, a variable resistor is really two resistances, the sum of which will add up to the 10K of the pot. Uh, so there's one resistor on one side, one resistor on the other. One resistor between pins 1 and 2, the other resistor between 2 and 3. And uh, it's saying that one side is 8264 ohms, the other is 1715. Add the two together, you get 9979 ohms, uh, which is close enough to 10K. Now if I alter that, like so, nothing happens on the screen. But if I turn it off and test it again, I should get a different value, but still adding up close to 10K. We'll see how we go. Now one side is 5634 ohms and the other is 4386 ohms. And doing some quick maths here, that's a 99, well, it's actually um, 6020 uh, ohms. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, still uh, close enough to 10,000 uh, ohms or uh, uh, 10K. Uh, it surprised me a little. It actually went over. Normally it's under. But, uh, uh, but yes, it's, uh, it's working just fine. Now, I've got my inductor of unknown quantity. And we'll just pop that in like so. Press test. Now, I can't measure the inductance, but I can at least see whether it recognises that it is an inductor, and it has done so. It's telling me it's got a resistance of 3.9 ohms and an inductance of 0.79 millihenries. So, I'll take that as a pass. I've got 
an electrolytic here, which I will very quickly discharge. A thousand, uh, what is it, a thousand microfarads. Pop that in like so. Press test. And it's saying that it's a capacitor with 1,027 microfarads, which is close enough to 1,000 microfarads. So yet another pass. Now the final component is my IRF530, and I've got to make sure that's right down because these leads are very, very short. And press test. Now it's going to give me two values. It's going to give me a VT, whatever that is, and also the capacitance. Now, I couldn't get the capacitance uh, from the spec sheet, so I can't confirm that. And VT, I think, is the gate threshold voltage, which was quoted as 4 volts. Now, this is saying that it's 3.6. Uh, I did, can't be certain that it is the gate vol uh, threshold voltage, uh, but it looks close enough. In any event, it does look like this component may be okay because the tester has actually recognised that it is a MOSFET. Anyway, all in all, I think it does what it says it does. Namely, it identifies components and gives you their values. And for, for me, this will be really, really useful because uh, when I'm soldering in resistance, resistors and capacitors, I can just put them into this device and work out what their uh, values are straight away without having to muck around with colour codes uh, or with uh, very, very tiny writing. So uh, for $22, I think this is excellent value and can thoroughly recommend it. That was a really neat looking little kit, Peter, and you know... I think I could see one of those in my future. What about you, Tim? Yeah, it's really neat. Very yeah, handy. They're a great little uh, device, and uh, you know the good thing is that they can actually identify what type of component it is. Yeah, and the only only drawback I saw is that you had to turn it off every time and turn it mm. back on, and it took so long for it to to come up. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But in I'm, practice, though, you're not going to be going through component after component like I was doing it. Wait a couple of seconds, but yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it looked really nice. It, it, was that Arduino? Was that what that was? I don't know. It, it's. I, I had a look at it, and uh, in fact, I've got it here. Just looking at the base of the board, it it could be. It's got that same kind of um, size and shape and everything, but uh, there's there's no Arduino symbols on it, so. I can't really comment. I haven't looked at the chips to see what uh, what's actually being used in there. Wouldn't surprise me, though. Yeah. Well, cool. Something I need to look into. Well, you know, we've got some things sitting on the desk here, Tommy. Yeah. Uh, boy, yeah, this... Uh I thought this was on my side because I was supposed to take it back home with well, me. Well, I don't know. We'll have to discuss that a little later in the show <laughs> and, and see what that is all about. Uh, you might have those who watch Ham Nation, not this past Wednesday, but the Wednesday before, I built a little uh, LED flashlight that runs off of dead batteries. You remember that time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember I turned it on on the show and said, I'm just going to leave it on. I had a fresh battery in it. Well, this a is A fresh it. dead battery, right? Well, no, this is a fresh, fresh battery. Oh, it was a brand new one? Yeah, a new battery. This flashlight has been on now for... Week and a half. Yeah, week and a half. 
and it's still going and it's it's practically as bright as it was when i turned it on pretty amazing stuff this is a humana light you can find it at humanalight.org it's a, a good charity there and they've got a really neat little product here that's you know the money goes to charity to send radios to developing countries and places that they really need them that they can't afford them and this is some technology that that they actually use in some of those radios to uh, give them a little flashlight too but they come up with a way to take some components easily found in surplus gear and apparently there's a lot of uh you know a lot of used aa cells in those countries mm -hmm. i guess from you know running the radios and such and they can use those and you know it's it's saving the environment and it's giving these people who need it you know some yeah, uh, a good extra, cause. yeah really good cause so check out humanolight.org pick up one of those kits i think you'll find it's real easy to build and it goes to a good cause yeah, i got mine i'm probably gonna put mine together tomorrow afternoon yeah Right. Oh. Um, is there a website that people can go to to get those? Yeah, the one I just mentioned, humanolight.org. Let's come back in a moment and, and get into a couple of other things here. But right now, let's have a message from one of our great sponsors, Gigaparts. Need an easy-to-use antenna analyzer that you can count on? Look no further than the Comet CAA500. The CAA500 is the only analyzer in its class that covers HF through 500 megahertz, including 220. The optional soft case features a reflective shoulder strap and a belt loop that doubles as a palm grip. The smooth, precise thumb wheel lets you quickly scan the desired frequency range in seconds. A large, easy-to-read cross-needle meter displays both SWR and impedance allowing you to track both readings simultaneously in an analog format. Rugged, dependable, precise, and accurate, the Comet CAA500 is the antenna analyzer of choice for both amateurs and professionals. Gigaparts is the largest independent amateur radio dealer in the nation. Everything you need for ham radio, including books, DVDs, antennas, rope, coax, and tuners. Gigaparts has it all and is open Monday through Saturday. Call us toll-free at 866-535-4442, and our friendly staff will be happy to help you find the right products for nearly any project and budget. Online shopping made easy with real-time pricing and availability, and free shipping on most orders. Go to gigaparts.com and enter to win a free radio. Have a question? Click on Live Chat for a quick answer. Low prices? Huge selection. America's favorite ham radio store is Gigaparts. And now through September 30th of 2014, you can save 10% off the price of any regularly priced Comet product. And you're also going to get a free gift. Use the coupon code ALTV-COMET only at Gigaparts.com. And we thank them for being a sponsor of the show. And go check it out. That's a good deal, 10% off. Yeah, 10% is a good bit. And those Comet antennas are good. Yeah, I like them. That's actually, that's yeah, and, uh, all I've got. Yeah. And on that point, I just make um, the point that I've noticed on uh, Facebook that quite a few of our uh, readers or viewers 
have actually been using those coupon codes and saving themselves some, uh, some money. And there's generally a coupon code of one kind or another every month. So keep watching and uh, keep watching for the ads and you can save yourself some money. And that's going to be another coupon code here in just a little bit, but we, we won't give that away just yet. Well, you know, I mentioned a while ago that I did some playing with dummy loads this week, and, you know, that's something that we all need, so let's talk about it just a little bit. Today we're going to talk about test equipment, and more specifically, the dummy load. Now, you may not think of a dummy load as a piece of test equipment, but actually it is. In order to accurately measure the performance of a transmitter, you need a known load to operate into, and that's where the dummy load comes in. Also, dummy loads are handy when you want to tune an amplifier or another piece of gear without actually transmitting on the air. Here's the first dummy load I ever purchased. This is a CB radio dummy load that came from Radio Shack in the mid-1970s. It's nothing more than a PL259 connector with a 47-ohm resistor soldered inside of it. Now, this was only a 2-watt resistor in there, so... You could run 5 watts into it, but not for very long. Now here's another dummy load, or actually this is called a Terminator. This was used on Ethernet cables back when we used coax. It's got a 50 ohm resistor up inside the little cap there, and a BNC connector. Now you could use this on a handy talkie with real low power, but I wouldn't operate it very long. Now here's another dummy load. This one is high quality. It comes from Decibel Products. It's a 25-watt load. I'm sure it's a resistor up inside the heat sink here. And this one has a PL259. Although you can unscrew it, that is just an adapter. It's actually a Type-N load. Now here's one more dummy load. And this one I purchased at a ham fest a few years back. It's a 100-watt 50-ohm from Philco. It's a pretty decent load. It's got a heat sink on it here, so... It should be able to take the power for a little while. And this one had a Type-N connector on it. If you unscrew it right here, there's just a big 50-ohm power resistor inside of the case. Now, I could run an HF rig into this load here, and it'd be fine for testing for a little while. However, I couldn't run a linear amplifier into it. It just wouldn't take it. So what do you do in a case like that? Here's a load from Applied Engineering Science that'll handle 2,100 watts continuous and it works from dc to 60 megahertz so that's going to cover our hf radios in fine style there we could key our amplifier into this and leave it there all day we'll look a little more at it in a moment but first let's check out some of these loads i'll pull out my trusty ohm meter here and we'll take some dc resistance measurements we'll begin with the radio shack cb load 53.2 ohms now, that was a 47-ohm resistor in here, and there's a chance that uh, over the years, I got this thing a little bit warm. Now, let's look at the decibel products dummy load. 50.2. That's pretty close right there. And our Philco 100-watt Hamfest special, 56.5. Now, that's off a little bit, more than any of the ones we've measured so far. Now, let's look at the Applied Engineering Science load. 47.6. Now all these measurements we've taken are DC. And our rigs don't put out DC, they put out RF. So let's take a few measurements and see what it's going to look like under actual conditions. We'll use one of my favorite antenna analyzers, the MFJ225, and we'll measure the Radio Shack dummy load to begin with. 
Now you can see across here I'm measuring from 3.552 up to 27 megahertz, so we're getting a wide spectrum view of the dummy load. You can see these little peaks jumping up as it's scanning. That's where it's rising above a 1.1 SWR. And you can see as you get on out here toward the end, it's risen even more. It looks like 1.2 is the maximum at the different frequencies. At 15.352 megahertz, we can see it's measuring 1.09 SWR. The complex impedance is 53 ohms. The resistance is 53 ohms, and the reactance is 3 ohms. Now let's try a different load. This is the network terminator. It looks similar, although we do see it rise here at 15 megahertz. It's measuring 53 ohms with a reactance of 2 ohms. Now this is a decibel products dummy load. We can see that it's good and flat all the way across here. There are a couple of little peaks, but... They're very minor. It's got a resistance of 50 ohms and a reactance of 3 ohms. And here's the applied engineering science load. We can see it's relatively flat here with a little rise up around 26 megahertz. And there's a couple of little spikes there along the road, but all of them are less than 1.2. It has a resistance of 48 ohms and a reactance of 3 ohms. So all of these dummy loads would be fine for measuring RF power. It's just a matter of the wattage. Now let's take a little closer look inside these dummy loads. The network terminator is going to have a resistor about this size, one-eighth of a watt. So that's not going to carry very much power for very long. The 5-watt CB dummy load is going to have a 2-watt resistor in it, one about this size, not this value though. This one, I don't know. You can't get inside of it, but I assume it's uh, not going to be a lot larger than this resistor. Maybe a little bit. The Philco dummy load here, the length of the resistor is about like this, so it's a fair bit bigger for 100 watts. A typical legal limit tuner would have a resistor like this inside. Now, this is only a 90-watt resistor, and that's okay for quick tune-ups, but you certainly wouldn't want to put any power to it for any length of time. Now let's take a look inside the Applied Engineering Science dummy load. The resistors used in this load are much larger. You can see there are 14 700 ohm resistors in here. If you did the calculations, you'd find out when you put them in parallel, that would be 50 ohms. Each one of these resistors is rated at 150 watts. If you total all that together, you'd find out that it's 2100 watts and that's at room temperature up to 105 degrees fahrenheit to make sure that this load didn't overheat two fans here on the rear now these run off of 12 volts and they don't run continuously inside the load here there's a thermostat that turns on the fans and turns them off as necessary so there's no fan noise when the load doesn't actually require cooling Inside the unit here, we've got a loop that gives us a sense output, 50 ohms, plus 60 being octave, uncalibrated. So the sample here could get kind of high on higher frequencies. Now with 2100 watts of resistors and two cooling fans, this unit's rated to do 2 kilowatts continuously 24-7. 
So you could run your amplifier into this forever and not have a problem. As a matter of fact, this would make a good load for those who are converting AM transmitters for amateur use. And one word of caution about this dummy load and any high-power dummy load, don't put your fingers on the resistors in here. That'll leave oil on them, which can cause heating spots. If you do touch it, use some isopropyl alcohol to wipe them down to get that oil off. If you're an amateur, sooner or later you're going to need a dummy load. And there's a lot of choices out there. So just be sure that you choose the right load for the job. So there you go, a little discussion on dummy loads. There's a lot of dummies up there. There is. There's some uh, good jokes about that in the uh, chat room yeah. here, too. Yeah, yeah, they were going, going pretty wild. George! Yeah, and I don't think I mentioned, just a moment, Peter, uh, the link to uh, Applied Engineering Science. It's AES-RF. Dot com and uh, go check them out they only make premium stuff it's um it's not your your typical lowball products there but man that is one nice dummy that, load that is a serious dummy load i really uh enjoyed playing with it and I, I haven't really warmed it up good yet you know i'm gonna have to just put the amplifier in it and key down just key down <laughs> i'm gonna wait till this winter though because yeah. it's probably gonna get kind of warm in here what was that peter yeah, I was going to ask you, you're a uh, uh, broadcast engineer or ex-broadcast engineer. On those big 100-kilowatt AM transmitters, um, what do you use for a dummy load for them? Uh, 100 kilowatts, did you say? Yep. The biggest Depends. We ha- yeah, the biggest we have in the U.S. is uh, 50 kW. And, uh, of course, I've... Uh, you know, worked with FM and television as well. Probably the biggest dummy load I have ever worked with was, um, I think it was a 50KW one, and it ran, uh, it was water-cooled. It, it had a big aluminum tube about that long, about that big around, a big resistor in it, and you ran water in it, and, and that's oh, what wow. kept it cool. But we burned up a lot of those. Yeah. Yeah, if the water flow wasn't just perfect, it would burn right up. So uh, the ones that I used at my FM stations uh, were very similar to this one right here. Uh, you know, as multiple resistors stacked in a cabinet uh, with cooling fans blowing up through them. Uh, I had one of those that was, uh, well, I, I guess I had one that was 40 kW. And you wouldn't want to run it 24-7. Mm-hmm. But it was built built the same theory as this one right here and so that that's a solid way to make a dummy load and it, it's quite common in broadcast cool yeah actually well that, that's uh, the one thing we haven't done on the show yet we haven't blown anything up we really need to blow something up uh gentlemen that was we're bound to have blown something we've up burned right some stuff up yeah yeah uh, we need some explosions some the explosions. audience will love it well, let's see if we can get Jim to come back and help with those. <laughs> That's kind of his area of expertise there. Well, you notice here on the table, as I mentioned earlier, we've got a, a few nice items out here. Let's talk a little bit about this one right here and this one right here right now. Motorized screwdriver antennas are perhaps the most flexible mobile antennas available. With a single antenna, you can operate most HF ham bands without pulling off the road and making antenna changes or adjustments. 
The MFJ SDC-104 screwdriver antenna controller will read the frequency from your transceiver and automatically adjust your screwdriver antenna to the transceiver's frequency. The controller connects to any L-Craft, Kenwood, or Yezu rig that has RS-232 or ICOM rigs with ICV or Yezu rigs with TTL. The controller reads the frequency of your transceiver and moves the antenna to the closest program settings. Once the memories are programmed, there are no memory buttons to press. The auto-tuner will select the correct antenna adjustment for the current frequency. During tuning, the display alternates between the number of turns of the antenna, the current drawn by the motor, and the transmit frequency. And best of all, the SDC-104 works with most motorized screwdriver antennas. MFJ is also a distributor for Torhell screwdriver antennas. Torhell antennas come in a variety of sizes, colors, and power ratings. When properly installed on a vehicle, little Torhell antennas provide continuous coverage from 7 to 54 MHz for the 500-watt PEP Little Torhell HP or 3.5 to 54 MHz for the 200-watt PEP Little Torhell 2. But don't let the small size fool you. Tarhill designed this antenna to be mounted high on the vehicle. When mounted higher on the vehicle, you have less ground losses, which equals higher performance. And like all Tarhill antennas, you get the same great look with their powder coat paint system in a variety of colors. All Tarhill antennas use a premium commercial grade 12 volt gear motor. Make the little Tarhill screwdriver antenna and the MFJ SDC 104 screwdriver antenna controller your next mobile antenna installation. You'll be glad you did. And when I say you'll be glad you did, I mean it because this is the antenna I've got on my mobile out there, Tommy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's when we talked to uh, Mike up there in Canada. Yeah. I, I bought that at uh, the Huntsville Hand Fest from Gigapark last year, hmm. so it'll be a year old next weekend. Yeah. And I have not had a moment's trouble out of it. I really like it not having to pull off the road and uh, change the taps like I did on the Outbacker I had been using. Oh, yeah. Ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah. But it's really nice to be going down the road and just reach over there and tap a button and tune your antenna. I, I can't say enough about it. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. They're a little more than, say, a hamstick or something like that, but, you know. Well, it's considerable a bit more, but it's a much better antenna. Well, it is. Performance-wise, mm, you know, may not talk any farther than a hamstick, but Yeah, well, you got to have a whole truckload of hamsticks. Well, that's true. Yeah, that is true. Well, Peter, what's on your email stack down there tonight? Just the one email today. Uh, it's from Smurf in Ohio, and he's just got got, in, uh, got through watching your field day episode. Um, he, he noted that at 26.03 in the episode, what is that behind George coming in from the road on the left? It pa- passes right over his head. He also enjoyed the radio build, and uh, he also asked, did Tommy use the solar panel at all? So what is this there referring, he's referring to? Um, uh, gentlemen, what, what is this? I haven't gone back and looked at the episode, but uh, what is that behind your head? Well, actually, it's right above my hands there. You know, I went back and looked at that video, and you could see it was down down there on the road behind me to the left, and it kind of moved up and came uh, came right in front of me there, it looks like. And it did look like something hanging from a string, but it must have been a butterfly or a moth. Yeah, cocoon. 
It's Ooh. not a cone, no. Cocoon. Cocoon. <laughs> I don't know. A UFO? Uh, possibly. I mean, I really couldn't identify it in the video very well. It could. You know, I might not have wanted to stood there if I really knew what it was. Well, you know, there's a grave graveyard right there by where we were, where we were. Things were falling off that tree. Yeah, true. But, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I really don't know. Um, that's... Uh, that's kind of a mystery. We might have to have a, a ghost hunters episode or something. Yeah. And uh, what about the other question? Did Tommy use the uh, Jim's question here? Did Tommy use the flexible solar panel at all? Well, you know what? I, I brought it, but I actually ended up not doing it because I was I was going to do it that afternoon when the storm came up, mm-hmm. and I got sidetracked after that, and I never did it, even hook it up. Yeah, you should have. Should have. I should have because mm-hmm. we'd have got more points off of it too. Yeah, and that that was the plan. He was going to use it. I can say, although I didn't actually see it myself. He says well, he has it. It was time. there. It was there. Yeah. Cool. Shame right, well, on me. Yeah. Well, thanks for that, Smurf. Uh, and I wonder if Smurf ever got his license yet. You know, I think he's not a ham, or he wasn't a ham, was he? I, I don't know. I know he emails quite often. I've I've had several chats with him via yeah. email. Yeah. So maybe. Maybe he has got his license now. That that would be good. Well, um, Tommy, you had a fun project this month, didn't you? Yeah, I got a new toy, man. A little DB Mega sits on the Raspberry Pi. Let's take a look at it. Yeah, that did look pretty neat. Well, we've got another new toy I want to share with you guys today. If you remember when we were in Dayton this year, we talked to Goose. I probably butchered his name up. But the guy that's the inventor of the DB Mega devices. He's got two devices, I believe, that are available right now. He's got the UHF radio that plugs onto a Raspberry Pi, hooks onto the GPIO pins, and there's a little standoff to secure it, and and a small SMA adapter to hook your antenna on. This is very similar to uh, the DV access point in functionality. This one's only uh, UHF. There's not a two-meter version of it that I'm aware of just yet. He also has another device that hooks onto an Arduino. It's, it's a shield, uh, basically the same functionality, but it's actually a dual band radio, which is which is very cool. I'm, I'm not aware of any other little devices like that that are dual band, but it, these devices are fully supported by Jonathan Naylor's software, G4KLX software. Um, a lot of you guys are already running it. This is actually going to be my first time to run it, and. Uh, We'll go through it a little bit and talk about it in a few moments. When my device came, it came just like this. It's all assembled. It's got the SMA adapter on there and came with a little standoff with the screws in it to hook to the Raspberry Pi and then the little header connector to go to the GPIO pins. And uh, it's really easy to hook up. Let's go ahead and do it. Just unscrew the bottom screw. And put it on the Raspberry Pi. As you can see, I've already plugged in my keyboard and my Wi-Fi dongle onto my Raspberry Pi because I'm going to need them in a little while. And the hole lines up perfectly. Not too tight. As you can see, it's a nice fit. The board bumps up right against the edge of the video connector but it doesn't overlap it so that that's good and everything is uh, got good clearance from the other components nothing to worry about there you'll need a few other things as well 
I stopped by the local Radio Shack and got robbed from one of these $8 SMA right angle adapters. I could have stuck the rubber duck on sideways, but I, I wanted it to be vertical. You'll need a little rubber duck antenna. I picked up this little dual bander at a ham fest sometime back. I don't even remember when. I've had it for a long time. Just sit in the drawer, but anyway, perfect for this application and an SD card for your image. When he mailed me the board, he sent me an email that it had shipped. There was also a link in the email where he recommended the Western D-Star image. I went ahead and downloaded that and I burned it onto my SD card. I'm not going to go through all of the steps to configure the software. We'll hit the high points, but I mostly wanted to focus on the device today. I'll go ahead and boot up with my card that I've pre-configured. Like I said, I burned it earlier and I've got it working and I've been actually talking on the device for, for a couple of days. We'll go through a few settings here as basically on how it pertains to the device and talk about the device a little bit more and uh, we'll show it operating. I'm going to go ahead and VNC over here to mine and show you the settings on the software. A few moments ago, I told you that they recommended that we use the Western D-Star image, and, and I did, just because I wanted to hurry up and get a jump start on it. The image is really nice. If you look at it, it's got all of the D-Star packages installed for you. There's information on here about setting up VNC, how to resize a partition, and I've already done all that, how to update the repeater software. So let's go ahead and run these configurators here. First thing we need to do is run the D-Star config one, and it's got a nice little GUI. I went ahead and put my call sign in. Typically on D-Star, the B module is UHF, and G is always a gateway, and we set it up for simplex because we're using the same frequency to transmit and receive on. All these settings, by the way, are in the document on the website right here, uh, Goose's site. Some of the gateway ones are not. I will make notes and put those on the show notes uh, that for you to be able to get to those as well. So there, there's not that much that we changed on here by default. Went skipped around here to modem. And you can see the DVMEG is fully supported as well as quite a few other things including our DVAP. But we're going to focus on the DVMEGA here. Click configure and we want to pick this port this is a serial port that's hooked up to the to the chip there and the variant is radio we're even though two meters and seventy centimeters are here we want to pick seventy centimeters this is cool you just put your frequency in right there and your DVMEGA will automatically use that frequency to send and receive and the power is pretty self-explanatory I don't think I mentioned earlier, but it's a 10 milliwatt device, same as the DVAP, and uh, you can adjust that down if you want, but uh, for 10 milliwatts, I think I'll leave mine on full power. That's all I did for here, and just be sure to click File and Save. I'm just going to click Exit because I don't want to change anything. Next thing we want to do is run the Gateway Configurator. The, there's two pieces of software that communicate with each other. One is the repeater, which is going to work for local if you were actually doing a repeater. And then the gateway is kind of the key here. That's the piece that's actually going to send the data out to the D-Star network. And it actually is a really impressive piece of software. Let's take a look at it. 
The only things I changed here are uh, as I picked hotspot for my type. I put my call sign in and you can see it automatically puts a G there. I also put my latitude and longitude on there so DPRS will show where I am. Uh, I'm on band B for UHF. Type is homebrew. Uh, the repeater, I put my frequency in here because this is what's going to show up out there uh, as that's what my station is on. And a zero offset because it's not really a repeater. Same, same latitude and longitude as before. And my address, Madison, Mississippi. Repeater 2, I ignored. IRC DDB is very important. It needs to be enabled. And for host name, be sure to go down and pick one of these IRC1 open quad ones. I just picked the first one. Put your call sign in as the username and no password unless you actually have an account registered on there. This will authenticate you and let you get on with your, your hotspot, your DVMega here that we're putting together. DPRS is enabled. And this is uh, one of the things that we tried in the past. This software will pass your GPS coordinates from, from your radio with GPS in it, and you'll show up on the APRS network. I have D-Extra enabled, D-Plus is enabled. That, that's important to be able to get on the other reflectors. Without going into a lot of details, there's a couple of reflector systems, X-reflectors, and then the regular D-Plus reflectors that you're familiar with. And if you don't enable this, you won't be able to get on those. So definitely turn that on and put your uh, your call sign on there that whatever's registered on the D-Star network, on the U.S. Trust network right there. It's critical that you put that on or you're not going to be able to get into uh, some of the reflectors that you're going to want. And I, I just turned all those on by default. Changed my language to English U.S. And that's it. Save it, exit. When you boot up, the gateway and the repeater software load up automatically. So you can run headless like we do with our DHAP or, or our homemade uh, DVAP pies and things like that. So same principle. They've just done the hard work for you. I'm going to go ahead and run it manually so I can show you. And I'll start up the gateway and the repeater. You see some messages scrolling across here. When when it boots up normally, this this is not enabled. But if you just run that for debugging purposes, it, it does enable the messages so you can see what happens. All right. Now, one thing you notice, there's no lights on here. So we don't really know from that if we're connected. So we're solely relying on the audible prompts from, from the repeater. I went ahead and I put my my DV Mega in here just the same way I did with my DVAP in the previous episode. Uh, so go back and look at that if you need some instructions or shoot me a line. Let's go ahead and, and link up to something. So I'll go ahead and go here, go down to your call, and I'm going to link to, we'll link to, let's just do one Charlie. Okay, and you can hear the little lady in the radio say we're linked up. And you can see over here on our gateway that we're linked. And there's our traffic right there.
When you set up your radio to communicate on it, be sure to set the gateway and the repeater like you would if you were using a normal repeater. That, in that regard, it's a little bit different than the DVAP. When you shut down your Raspberry Pi, the next time you start it back up, all the software will run automatically and you'll be good to go. I didn't go through a lot of the, the minor setup stuff, the setting up the system, because we've done that in the past on a couple of different shows. So refer back to those. If you have trouble finding them, let me know, and I'll kind of steer you in the right direction. But the wiki is a great place to go search for that stuff. It's a really awesome device. I've had a fun time playing with it. If you're interested in these, check them out at Gigaparts. Gigaparts sponsors the show, and, and they're also going to be the distributor for these in the U.S. Um, I believe they'll also carry the Arduino versions as well. So check them out on their website at gigaparts.com. Uh, for your instructions to get started, you can check those out at the link right here. And you can also get the Western D-Star image that I got started with at the link right here. All that information will also be in the show notes. Anyway, 73, and let me know if you get one of them how... How you liked it? Well, that was pretty cool, Tommy. Yeah, I like that thing, man. It, it it has worked pretty well, well, absolutely flawlessly since I got it. I really like it a lot, and uh, I like it because it plugs onto the Raspberry Pi. It doesn't use one of the USB ports, mm-hmm. so it's, it's really nice. So, now, that's... Tommy, I've got a question about the um, uh, the device. Uh, one problem you run into with the Raspberry Pi is that if you don't uh, shut it off in just the right way um, you can actually corrupt the card and I'm just wondering if they incorporated a button or anything to seamlessly shut down the uh, um, uh, the gateway or ra- rather the Pi so that the card didn't get corrupted? Well yeah that's actually a function of the software not so much as the device but that software that I was running has a way to set a shutdown command in there and you can mm-hmm. put those commands in your radio where you set the two repeaters up and, and actually have it shut it down. I haven't done that on mine yet, uh, but I plan on implementing that soon. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I'm going to probably do a segment on that software. Uh, it, it's really impressive, uh, very capable, a lot of stuff in there. So this is essentially the same thing as a DHAP, except it doesn't require uh, D-V- you to run No, DVAP. DVAP, excuse me. <clears throat> it's very similar to the DVAP. Yeah, but but you don't need to run a computer. You've got the Pi. Just run off the Pi. Of course, you can run the you, you can run the DVAP off a of Raspberry Pi as well, but you're going to yeah. use one of your uh, USB ports on there. Yeah. Okay. Cool. That's good to know. Well, and this is actually probably a little bit more cost effective to get on D-Star with as well. Yeah. Well, I'm going to check that out because I don't have one of those access points like that, and. You know, I could see where that would be handy rather than just relying on the repeater. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the only way to go. Yeah. Um, You know, Gigaparts, when they found out you were doing this, they came up with a little special for us, didn't they? Yeah, they've actually got a a coupon code, uh, ALTV-DV. They've got a bundle put together. so You you can Mm -hmm. use that code and get $10 off. The bundle includes a Raspberry Pi Model B, the DV Mega radio for a Raspberry Pi, mm-hmm. SD card with the OS preloaded, an SMA right angle adapter, MFJ telescoping dual band 2 meter 70 centimeter antenna, and the AC power supply. So everything you'd need then to set one of these up. Everything you'd need to get on, get on with it. Okay, cool. Well, go check that out, ALTV-DV, 
and get you uh, DV Mega. Yep, DV Mega. And actually, I believe those bundles are going to be listed on our page on uh, gigaparts.com. Yeah, gigaparts.com slash ALTV. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. Well, right now, let's have a message from ICOM. You see, we've got a ICOM radio sitting over there on the side that we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. But right now, ICOM's got some things they want to tell you about. HF, VHF, or UHF, ICOM has you covered wherever you go. Check out the IC7410 and IC7200, two HF radios that employ ICOM's signature DSP technology. The IC7410 is an all-mode HF transceiver. It's got dual conversion superheterodyne system, a built-in auto-tuner, and built-in 15 kHz first IF filter, and optional 3 kHz and 6 kHz filters. The IC7200 offers solid performance and digital flexibility. It also includes selectable filter width and shape, excellent receiver performance, and it's compact and rugged, even with a water-resistant front panel. And when it comes to mobiles, have you considered the V8000 for your next adventure on 2 meters? It's got 75 watts of power output in a rugged die-cast aluminum chassis, fast memory channel scanning with dynamic memory scan, complete radio control in the palm of your hand with the versatile mic, backlight customization, and weather scan alert and amateur radio first. And let's not forget ICOM's line of D-Star handheld radios, too. The IC92AD is one rugged VHF-UHF dual bander. Its submersible construction can withstand harsh outdoor elements, dual watch capability, a built-in voice recorder in DV mode, and optional GPS mic. It's great for MCOM and search and rescue. The IC80AD is another dual bander with extended receive coverage. It's the handheld companion to the ID880H mobile rig that I use, and it's an affordable option for hams interested in trying D-Star. It's durable and splash-proof, and it has NOAA Weather Radio pre-programmed. The UHF D-Star ID31A has so many features for on-to-go operation. It's got built-in GPS. It's compact and lightweight with waterproof construction. It's got a micro SD card slot and repeater list-up for quick access to nearby D-Star repeaters. So make sure you visit icomamerica hf vhf uhf for more information on ICOM's line of on-the-go radios. You know, Tommy, um, when I was up in Seattle here a couple of months back visiting ICOM and making the rounds up there, we met a guy that uh, was, I don't think his title was trustee, but he was something to do with the club that had a D-Star repeater in Bellevue, Washington. Yeah. They took me over to look at that site, and we had a good time there, and let's take a look at that now. Cool. So I'm standing on the roof of a building here in downtown Bellevue, Washington, with Horace. N7DRW, George, and welcome. Uh, Horace, good to meet you. Yeah. Uh, strange place to meet, I guess, but not really considering what we're up here for. No, it's not. I'm glad to have you. Thanks. Uh, I've really enjoyed the stay here in Washington State and seeing all the ICOM gear and some of the communications around. And you're, what is your title? You're repeater trustee? Uh, I'm the secretary of the Lake Washington uh, Ham Club. And so uh, we were kind enough to have the, the city give us this repeater up here, let us use this location. We're glad to uh, have it here, and it works really well. We're up about maybe uh, 250 feet in the air or something like that. 
Actually, we can check on our GPS here in a little bit and get the exact number. Yeah, it's not everybody who can ride an elevator up to the uh, tower site, but, uh, boy, this is great. You've got it right here on the roof, conduits over here going down through to the, I guess, the 41st floor is where the radios are? Yeah, they're on the uh, 41st floor. That's correct. And, uh, you know, you have to be very careful. We had to have a really professional installation to get it up here to make sure uh, we uh, comply with all of our insurance and this sort of thing that stays up here once it's here. So do you all do the antenna work yourself, or do you have to hire professionals for that? No, we actually hire professionals for that. Uh, Actually, uh, we're fortunate enough to have some professionals associated with our club, and that helps a little bit, too. And they did a great job because it's been sitting up here now for about maybe uh, five to six years and been working just fine. But it's about coming time we're going to have to do some maintenance and maybe some uh, antenna rework. I noticed the the poles and the antenna here are painted gray. I guess that's to kind of help it blend in the background. If you look around the building here, you'll see we're the only antenna up here, and they're very conscious of, uh, you know, any exposure of antennas and this sort of thing, and they'd rather, really rather not have any showing, so that's why they're gray. So what have you got here? I, this is a, a dual-band VHF, UHF antenna here. What's on this one? Uh, well, that's our D-Star. That's our 2-meter D-Star, and then we have our 0.7-meter D-Star on here, too, and we share it. And then there's another uh, UHF uh, rig downstairs for uh, analog, and then there's a 900 uh, uh, megahertz rig that's on here. And then we have a 1.2 with the DV and uh, DD. So y'all pretty much cover everything from here. Yeah, it uh, works out really good. We tie in well. We have a lot of visitors get, uh, that visit the site, and we're always looking for some more. And our uh, club call is www.lakewashingtonhamclub.org. And we're active in a lot of things around the community and like for people to tie into our website. Well, that's great. This is uh, an excellent location here, especially this high, and there's no other antennas up here. So no big problems with Intermod or Descents or anything like that, huh? Nope, had no problem at all. It's worked out really well. Uh, we can go all the way down to Federal Way. That's probably uh, 40 or 50 miles south, and we go up to uh, Bellingham just about, uh, or maybe to the Canadian border. So we have a really good location. Of course, we hit the mountains once we go east, but uh, it's a good location and it works out really well. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, let's go take a look at the um, machine room down there and see what you got. Okay, we'll do that. Give us a little tour of what goes on in here. Okay, Okay, uh, George, I'd be glad to, and we can call this our ham shack. What we're going to do is start from where the radio signals go out. We'll start at the antennas, and that goes up to the roof to where we were. And uh, this is our ham shack in the sky here for our uh, <clears throat> for our uh, D-Star repeater, and we've got a couple of analogs that we'll point out. Uh, we have a, 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 this is our D-Star one, the, the second one out. Uh, that's our UHF, VHF mode right there. Over to the left of that is our 1.2 gig that goes up there. We saw those antennas up here. Here we have a uh, 440 megahertz analog system here, and then we have a 900 megahertz system. So you can see they did a really nice job. of. These are our surge suppressors that you actually see, and then, of course, the coax heading up towards the roof. Down at the bottom is our uh, radio that's hooked up to the Internet. And so when you uh, sign in to uh, K7LWH, and I hope uh, all do, then you'll probably go in through this particular computer and then get to our stack. 
We have provisions for a backup, but we have a little work to do. We haven't got that in place yet. So we'll swing around and look at the uh, some of the equipment now. This is uh, an unusual uh, place to start, perhaps, with the D-Star, but this is our uh, UHF uh, analog system that's right here, and we have that downtown. And uh, So we hope to uh, get that going for either an Echolink and, or, or something along that line, uh, perhaps in the future. Dropping down, we have a 900 megahertz system that uh, it's been a little quiet, but we're hoping to see a lot more people using, so that's here. Over here, you'll see our duplexers for our, uh, our two-meter two D-Star, and then we're swinging up now and taking a look at the uh, D-Star stack. This little, little deal in here is the, uh, is the modem going out to the Internet, and then we start our D-Star stack, and it's a, the uh, typical stack where you have the, uh, the 1.2 meg and then the, uh, the 0.7-meter uh, UHF and then the 2-meter and then our computer. And uh, then these are our duplexers for our uh, very high frequency up here. So it's a very good room. Uh, it's, uh, there's a little whine on, our, uh, on our, some of our uh, computers here, but not too bad. It's run really well for about the past five or six years, and we have to do some maintenance to get some backup going and, and things like that. But nothing that uh, – it's really got tremendous reliability, and, again, that's thanks to uh, the folks that assemble this and put it together. So that's probably a pretty quick tour, George, but that gives you an idea of what uh, K7 LWH looks like in Bellevue, Washington. Well, that's really great. I, I haven't seen a D-Star repeater myself before in service, but, but here you've got the whole thing, VHF, UHF, uh, 1.2 gigs, and um, boy, it's kind of crammed in here, but still plenty of room, just a couple of little racks here held everything, and the computer sitting down here at the bottom. Well, yeah, we were lucky. Uh, Scott Bigger was our, the last fellow that did some maintenance on this, and uh, he commented on the lack of dust. And uh, I think the constant temperature and the lack of dust uh, meant that it's going to be around for a little while. And we really appreciate uh, ICOM for supporting this installation and keeping it up and running. Well, that's great. And is there a lot of activity on it here in, in the Seattle area? It's been growing and growing and growing. I'm really pleased with how it's doing. And uh, now we're seeing a lot more activity with uh, some of the uh, groups like Bellevue and some of the communities around like Kirkland and uh, Issaquah. And so, yes, it's growing quite a bit. And, of course, you can always, uh, with D-Star, you can t click on to, let's see, it's N6. Uh, I'm not sure what that, the rest of that is. but And you can see all the activity on our particular uh, repeater. So you have a lot of visitors connect to it and, and talk through the area here? Yeah, we do, and it's really exciting. When I get somebody from South Africa, I get really excited, and I, I sort of watch uh, uh, the D-Star information page and see who's been on, and so when I find somebody, I'll uh, send them a QSL card or something like that. But it's going really well. Now, another thing that's going to be happening is uh, we're working a lot with scout troops in the area, and we're, we, we have what we call a high-tech rig, and for our high-tech rig experiment, we're using the IC-31A. And so that puts us into our UHF D-Star repeater, and we're pretty excited every time we get uh, some, uh, some, some of the kids talking on it. One really exciting thing happened is we had one Cub Scout that went through our, our program and got his license, and uh, he was uh, too young to get the merit badge. But he got his license, and then he took his radio to show and tell, and I was able to talk with him on this particular repeater. 
So that was really neat. We enjoyed that. Yeah, well, having a license to me is probably better than having the merit badge anyway. <laughs> it is, and he had a lot of fun with his class and teacher. Well, that's great. We appreciate you taking some time out today to show us this facility up here. I know everyone will be interested to see it on the videos there. And y'all have really done a great job here. Everything is neat. And like you say, it's clean, very clean in here. For, for a repeater site, exceptionally clean. Okay, and thanks for visiting us. Come back. Good to see you. Yeah. There's a D-Star repeater site, Tommy. Yeah, that was a very nice inst installation. Well, it was. And if you saw the building that was in, you'd know why it was so oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's also kind of cool to see somebody that's so kind of uh, still excited about about the hobby. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, work, you know, talking to the kids on there and all that. It's really neat. Yeah. I, I think also you, you, one thing that the lesson that came out of all that was the fact that uh, by building a, a really good installation and a really good service, it's attracting people into the hobby or, or you know people to use these facilities. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it, it was a, a very nice installation. I think we mentioned there all the antennas and the hardware to hold them up were painted grey. Oh, yeah? yeah? To blend. To blend in so that you wouldn't really see there were antennas up there. Those were the only antennas on that building, too. So, Oh, wow. Kudos for them to, for getting that site. Really nice site. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I've got an email here concerning our uh, field day episode. Okay. Uh-oh. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> This comes from Tom Wilbeck, N5KGN. Just as a coincidence, I I saw Tom this morning. I, I think he's from Texas. But, uh, you know, I did a uh, Skype meeting with uh, the Hamfest in Shreveport, Louisiana oh, yeah. this morning. Yeah. He was in the audience there. Oh, that's neat. And he mentioned that he had sent me an email. I said, well, yeah, that's a coincidence because I'm going to read that email tonight. (laughs) (laughs) So what Tom said is he found Amateur Logic about four years ago, and he's been enjoying it, and he's watched every episode. And in our recent field day episode, uh, we used a MEGR, or breakdown tester, for testing coax. And I made some suggestions that viewers might find a little misleading. Yeah, I did. I I didn't uh, really say what I was trying to say correctly. This has never happened before. It's the uh, first time for everything. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But he said, when it was showing overload, I think I said it read no resistance. Well, no resistance would have been zero ohms. This is right the opposite. This is infinite ohms. That's what you'd want to see is infinite resistance when you're measuring with the mega not no resistance Ah. a fine line there and uh you know uh, so i really i had it exactly backwards of what i was trying to say and like i say that's never happened before but (laughs) yeah (laughs) anyway he said um you know when he saw the mega uh when i first demonstrated it he had to have one and he went to mcm electronics and he bought a tenma breakdown tester right away he said the specs were what he wanted, and the, the price was excellent. And he's had great fun testing old transformers, uh, cables, doing experiments on uh, insulation breakdown and exposure to different waters and chemicals. 
He thanks us for exposing him to that instrument. Cool. Yeah, it's a neat tool. It is. Really neat tool. Not something you usually use every day, but when you need one, boy, it's handy. Because we found out Wayne had some bad coax he didn't even know about. Yeah. And one of them was brand new. Yeah. But, uh, you know, got to have the tools, and that that is one of them. All you need is a buddy with one, though. You don't have to have one yourself. Yeah, that's why I'm going to come over here. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the Huntsville Ham Fest is coming up this coming weekend, and that is August the 16th and 17th. That's going to be over in Huntsville, Alabama. Yeah, that's always a big time, man. It, yeah, it's one of the nicer ham fests around here in the United States, and I'm going to be going over there again. Yeah, uh, it's kind of iffy for me. Yeah. Uh, I've had a p- trip planned with my son for almost a year, and it just so happens to fall on, on that weekend. Mm-hmm. And if if it's rainy, then I will be at the ham fest. If the weather's nice, then unfortunately I'll have to miss it this year. Yeah, you're gonna ride your scooter. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, I think we'll probably skip the the scooter ride uh, if it's rainy though. Yeah, yeah, nothing quite stings like rain when you're riding a motorcycle, yeah, except for sleet. Sleet. <laughs> I never done that. Yeah, I did. Yeah. But um, I don't recommend it. Yeah. Anyway, if you're in the South, you need to try to make it over to Huntsville and see this ham fest. Uh, most of the major manufacturers are there, all the uh, the big names, and you'll get to see some good stuff and a lot of good uh, flea market stuff as well. Oh, yeah, it's a great ham fest. It's a pretty good selection of stuff there. Yeah, so really looking forward to that. Okay, Tommy, got any queens? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I do. Uh-oh. All right. <laughs> you got any jokers? Well, that's kind of loaded, man. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were just playing a little uh, uh, card game here to see who's going to get to keep this radio and antenna and tuner, but y'all know how it goes. We don't get to keep this stuff. We give it to you. And that's what we're going to do. You know, we'll be celebrating the ninth anniversary of Amateur Logic coming up in October. That's that's unbelievable. It really is. Nine it's been years nine years. Well, hasn't been for me, but nine years since you guys started. That's yeah. impressive. Yeah, it's uh, uh, what a long, hard trip it's been. Is you know, it what? seems like just last year it was eight years. It was. I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you well, know. I, I, I'm really looking forward, I think, to the 100th episode. For me, that's the big target. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Yeah, that's where we're going to go to the other ARRL convention. Yeah, yeah, probably. But we've got some prizes here. You know, we're we're fortunate to have some great sponsors here on the program now that make it possible for us to do stuff like this every now and then. And this is the event, man. Yeah. This is another one of those ultimate mobile installations and... You're going to have a chance to win it. That's right. The Amateur Logic 9th Anniversary Contest is coming up. You can enter now. You're going to be eligible to win some great prizes here. We've got an IC7100 from ICOM. We've got the Little Tar Hills antenna from Tar Hill, given to us by MFJ. MFJ is a Tar Hill distributor. We've also got the MFJ SDC104 automatic screwdriver antenna tuner. And we've got some common antennas as well. So let's just take a moment here to talk about a, a few of these items. That rig over there. Yeah, this is, this is the uh, ICOM IC7100 
it's a it's a beauty, and you're going to be doing good to get that out of my hands here. Yeah. Well, we managed to get it out of your hands last year. You know, we gave yeah, away it was one tough though. It was tough. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's that's uh, radios uh, HF to HF uh, two meters seventy centimeters. It's got D star built in. Mm-hmm. It's a loaded touchscreen. Touchscreen's got everything you need, and uh, really makes a, a slick mobile rig. Yep. It's, yeah, it's an awesome piece of gear. Yeah, it's got it all. You know that's that thing's out in the market pretty good now. Uh, yeah, they're they're quite popular. Um, I I see people talking about them on D Star like all the time. Yeah, so great rig there. But you know we want to make it completely usable for you, so we got all the accessories to go with it. We've got a Little Tar Hill HD, is what this one is called. It's a Tar Hill screwdriver antenna. Uh, this one will handle up to 500 watts. It works, I believe, um, let's see, 40 meters through 6 meters. It's what I use. I, I have a little Tar Heel too, very similar to this one. But, yeah, 7 through 54 megahertz, 500 watts PEP. Great antenna. I can't say enough about it. I've had one for a year now. Yeah, that's exactly the one on your vehicle, right? This is the heavy-duty version that, that does 500 watts PEP. The one I have is a little Tar Heel 2. It does 200 watts PEP, but it adds 80 meters. Oh, okay. So this one is 40 through 6 meters here. Okay. But it will take up to 500 watts, and it, it's been a very good antenna for me so far. I have thoroughly enjoyed having that capability of being able to, to change bands while mm -hmm. I'm driving, fine-tune the antenna. To control that automatically from the rig, we're going to give you this Ameritron SDC 104 automatic screwdriver antenna tuner. And yeah, that's a must-have for the uh, screwdrivers. Yeah, it comes with a, a switch that you can adjust the antenna up and down, but having the auto tuner really, you know, that, that kind of completes the package there and makes it so much more convenient. And this tuner works with most screwdriver antennas. Right. Uh, works with most rigs, too, uh, all the major manufacturers. So that's going to make a nice setup there to get you on HF with that radio. But in addition to that, you know, we're going to need a little bit more. So we've got some Comet antennas here. We're going to have the CP-2X4SR. That is not your typical VHF, UHF dual band antenna. This one is broadband. And so it's designed for, you know, people who need voice communications on ham radio, land mobile, and FRS frequency ranges uh, because you know, amateurs work together with local search and rescue and other public service agencies. This antenna being broadbanded is going to allow you to transmit and receive on uh, both of those bands in a, a variety of situations where you couldn't normally cover it with a standard dual band antenna. It's got 3.8 dBi gain on 2 meters and 6.2 dBi on 70 centimeters. It handles 150 watts. To mount all these, you're going to need some mounts, of course, and Comet's got some great mounts. The CP-5M is a universal adjustable lip mount. It's got 16 foot and 6 inches of deluxe cable with a SO239. Perfect for mounting on SUVs or rear doors, trunks, van rear doors, hoods. You know, a lot of different places you can mount it. And that's going to hold that dual-band antenna just fine. 
But we've also got the HD5 slash 3H-24, which is a heavy-duty lip mount with a 3H-24 threaded socket that'll accept small screwdriver antennas. Comet and Gigaparts got together. They're supplying those uh, those antennas and mounts for us. Yeah, that's a pretty pretty complete package. And well, some top-of-the-line stuff. It's everything you need. And, you know, last year... We even gave away the car during the contest, so we're going to have to get back up to Walmart and see if we can find one of these chargers. Yeah, that was a pretty nice drive that evening to get out and take those pictures. Uh, yeah. Kind of a long ways from here, though. Yeah, well. <laughs> we don't have a lot of desert here no, in Mississippi. I really don't know what I can say about that. <laughs> Probably not much to say. Not Just let it go, say. man. Yeah, I guess I'll have to. <laughs> so, once again... The ICOM IC7100, the Ameritron SDC104 antenna tuner, the little Tar Hill HD screwdriver antenna, uh, those two are coming from MFJ, uh, the Comet broadband VHF UHF antenna, and the Comet mounts are going to go to some lucky amateur logic viewer. And here's what you need to do to qualify. Uh, Tommy, what's, what's the first thing there? You must be a licensed U.S. or Canadian amateur radio operator with a U.S. or Canadian shipping address. Yep. So uh, U.S. and Canada can enter. Sorry, guys, in the other countries. You know, we're we're trying to expand where we can on the contest, but yeah, can't do it for this one. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Only one entry per contestant. If you send more than one, you're going to be disqualified. Yeah, uh, winner's responsible for any taxes incurred. Yeah, and the winner agrees to let us use his or her call sign and name in any promotional and news items related to the contest. And the contestants must not be an employee or affiliate of Amateur Logic, ICOM, MFJ Enterprises, Gigaparts, or Comet. Yeah, and to enter, what you need to do is send an email to contest2014 at amateurlogic.tv. And in that, we want your call sign only on the subject line. And then in the body of the email, give us uh, your name, call sign, class of license, address. That's all you need to do. And you've got to submit between Friday, August the 8th and Wednesday, October the 8th of 2014. The contest winner will be selected by random number from the entries received. The winner will be announced on October the 15th episode of AmateurLogic.tv. You can get all the rules and information at AmateurLogic.tv slash contest. And we're going to give away uh, a couple of consolation prizes. Not much compared to the uh, <laughs> you know, to the grand yeah. prize here, but we've got a couple yeah, of things. I hope, hope you'll like them, though. Uh, the second place prize is going to be an Amateur Logic polo shirt, similar to these. Yep, similar to these. You'll get to choose what color you want, yeah. Yeah, and, and let us know the size. Yeah, and the third place is going to win an Amateur Logic t-shirt. And in case any of you want those and don't want to wait to win one, well, go to amateurlogic.spreadshirt.com. And we've got the Amateur Logic swag store there where you can get all your official Amateur Logic merchandise and swag. A lot of different items in there. And we appreciate everyone who's wearing these to the Ham Fest. We're seeing more and more yeah, of them as we go yeah, around. Yeah, they're starting to show up at the Ham Fest and everything. Appreciate you guys representing. Yeah, yeah, good deal. Well, any, any final thoughts before we go, Peter? Um, no, but it sounds like Huntsville's coming up, and uh, it sounds like you guys, well, you, you, George, are going to have a lot of fun there. I am. I'm looking forward to it. Wayne and I are going to go over, and uh, we've done it the past two years, I think. Wayne and I have gone together and uh, really had a blast over there. 
Uh, I don't know what I've, I've got on my shopping list yet. I've got to get to work on that this week and see what I'm going to need to pick up. I Actually, I need some of these, Tommy. I'm not out. No, no you don't. PL259? Yeah, I, I'm down to about, oh, six or eight of them now, and I like you know, I like to have at least an even dozen. you got to have a buffer. Thanks for being here, everybody. We've enjoyed it. And uh, do go into the contest, amateurlogic.tv slash contest for all the details. Somebody's going to have a really nice, what, Halloween, I guess? Yeah. <laughs> We're giving yeah, away by Halloween. Yeah, just time for Halloween. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. 7-3. 7-3, everybody. And we'll see you all again 73s. next time. You can also go to amateurlogic.tv slash ALTV, and, and they've got things oh. that they have specials, you know, for Gig, Gigaparts.com slash yeah. ALTV. Yeah, that one, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you got a few months there. Yeah, and I better go check and make sure that I've actually set up that email account. I, <laughs> I, can't, I don't remember doing it.